Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. I am one of your hosts, Bill D'Alessandro. And today we have a listing with beautiful photos. If you go on our YouTube channel to watch it, it is a cruise line in Alaska. Big boats, not boats, ships up to 200 feet long, 76 passengers. They go out for a week to Glacier Bay National Park in Alaska. Two million bucks of EBITDA. It's a permit-limited industry, and this is the one of the largest permit holders to actually enter the bay. So there's some nice moat built into it. Um, Mills has great comments about kind of how to think about underwriting the assets, all these boats. Heather has really good comments about uh, how to kind of, are they good collateral or are they not? Uh, and I just try to uh, throw in a cute, few jokes when I can. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. Hey, Michael here. Want to talk to you about today's sponsor for the episode, uh, which is cloudbookkeeping.com. So cloud bookkeeping is actually run by my neighbor, Charlie. So I've met him in person and uh, can attest that he's a real human being and a good person. Uh, And what cloud bookkeeping does is offer a full suite of bookkeeping services uh, all in the cloud uh, for you around QuickBooks and other technologies that you're using as a small business owner Uh, So if you're interested in getting the bookkeeping part of running a business off of your plate and focusing on running your business, uh, Charlie and his team are one to call. Um, They can put together a bunch of other stuff in terms of helping you manage and grow your business besides just bookkeeping, Um, sophisticated reporting, uh, definitely helping you get your QuickBooks online set up in the right way, uh, and a number of things around payroll as well. So uh, definitely know them and recommend them. If you want to find out more about cloud bookkeeping, um, you can go to their website at cloudbookkeeping.com. Uh, reach out to Charlie. I know many of you have uh, and see if he can help you uh, make your running your business easier and more fun by uh, letting them help with a lot of the bookkeeping solutions. So, uh, And when you call, mention this podcast. Uh, it would help us uh, and help Charlie know uh, that we're supporting him as well. So Thanks a bunch, and cloudbookkeeping.com uh, as the sponsor for today's episode. Heather, it's good to see well, you. Welcome back. <laughs> Sorry, now I talked over you. Welcome back. Thank you. uh, you've been kind of busy lately, Bill. What have you been up to? I've been having my third child, and he's a month old now. So I'm back in the chair. Thank you. I took. Uh, I was actually able to take uh, a month off from work, which was the most I've That's ever taken great. off. Now, it took three kids for me to figure out how to go on paternity leave, but it was pretty nice. That's great. I'm glad you did that. And I'm glad that, uh, and you're getting some sleep. You, I think you told me you are. Oh yeah. That's uh, good. Amazing. So, uh, our baby, he was born at almost 10 pounds. So he was huge. Uh, <laughs> like it's C-section. So they're like pulling him out and all the nurses are like, this baby is giant. Like they immediately, like they all thought it was so funny. He was, he was a big baby. But the great thing about big babies is they sleep because they can eat. And, you know, their stomach is big right. enough to hold they're, enough milk. They're mature. To, yeah. Um, <laughs> they're so little, he's been a great little, sleeper uh, yeah. because he was big. Um, so, I mean, of all the three kids, like he's sleeping some nights six hours in a row already. Wow. So that's great. Oh, here's Mills. That's good. Oh, hey, Mills, Mills, welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sorry, y'all. Dealing with <laughs> roofing problems. <laughs> Mills is running a business while we're over here trying to do a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. all right uh well we've got uh, a fun deal today um it is a cruise line it's another tourist business um which we've had some fun with in the past so i'm going to put it on the screen if you're with us on youtube it's now on the screen and you can also see our beautiful faces and mill's majestic beard um 
and also the teaser for this small ship cruise line. So this is from Mill's favorite business broker in the whole world, Generational Equity. Got um, so I know you're excited, Mills. Yep. Um, it says, this outstanding acquisition opportunity is for a small ship cruise line operating in Alaska. The company operates vessels that range from 104 to 207 feet in length, and they have a capacity of 12 to 76 passengers each. So these are big boats. Revenue is generated from sales of a variety of five to eight day overnight cruises. The company also operates week-long charters for private groups. They have $13.5 million of revenue and $2 million of EBITDA in 2023. Location, Alaska. Uh, The investment appeal, uh, if you're on YouTube, the beautiful photos need no further description uh, of Alaska. (laughs) Superior name and reputation. The company has an excellent name and reputation for its small ship cruises in Alaska with a track record for unique itineraries that leverage local knowledge and cuisine, superior customer service, and exceptional client satisfaction. Uh, they are one of the largest permit holders for Glacier National Park. The Glacial, Glacier National Park area in Alaska is one of the most sought-after tourist locations, and it is only accessed via sea and requires a permit for entry. The company is one of Alaska's largest permit holders for entry into Glacier National Park, with over 100 entries per season. The company has also been awarded many awards and accolades and recently has received awards in major travel magazines and publications. Uh, It says there's also a favorable outlook for industry growth. Revenue for U.S. water transportation services, an indicator for cruise ships, is forecast to grow at an annual CAGR of 6% between now and 2027 based on changes in physical volume and unit prices. The company will outperform this growth through enhanced sales and marketing efforts, which will yield higher occupancy rates. Uh, and that's all we've got from the folks at Generational Equity. Uh, no asking price on this thing. $13.5 million in revenue, $2 million in EBITDA. What do you guys think? Well, first of all, I just want to go on the site visit, of course. When I see businesses <laughs> like this, I get excited just to think, oh, I just want to go check it out. You know, that's all. Uh, it looks it looks like a fun business for one. You know that these are the smaller. I've been on a big cruise ship in Alaska before a couple times, and um, you do see these smaller ships going. You know they can get further in um, to some of the you know closer to the glaciers um, and really just see things a lot more up close. So so I think it's a it's a really kind of unique you know piece of the cruise industry. It's not like the big carnival cruises. It's it's a little bit more intimate. Um, and I think you can get closer to nature. And so I think there's a definite appeal. And these are, you know, uh, 12 to 76 passengers. So it's not like being on a giant cruise ship. Great, great industry for as far as being a lot of fun. I'm sure devastated like all the rest during COVID. Um, you know, that was a that was a really, really tough time for that industry. And I'm sure this was probably shuttered at that point um, and then has come back since then. And so everything like that, that really had a dramatic negative impact during COVID. Okay, now it's the beginning of 2024. So we've had, you know, two, three-ish, more like two years that are really kind of post-pandemic numbers to look at. It's been hard to buy businesses uh, like that because it's it, it's really difficult to know, uh, is this a post-COVID bomb that's going to normalize and flatten out or is this permanent? Um, and I would think for this industry, even 23 wouldn't necessarily convince me that this is normalized yet. Uh, that, that's kind of how I feel. What do you think, Mills? 
You know, I, I got very distracted as you were reading this bill because they say Glacier National Park is only accessed by sea and Glacier's <laughs> in Montana. So I was like, I've been to Glacier. I know there are lakes there, but I was really confused for a minute. I think what they mean is Glacier Bay National Park, which is uh, up in Alaska and <laughs> and makes more sense. And but it's a bay. Yeah. I was incredibly confused for like three minutes of Googling. Um, this is one of those things where I was like, that seems like it's a real perk. Like it's a real asset to the company. If they're one of the biggest permit holders to actually be able to take tourists in, but then, uh, you know, my geography, you know, got the best of me and I just had to, had to look at it. But I think this is interesting. I mean, my goodness, I would love to see their balance sheet. I'd love to see, you know, uh, do they own these boats? Do they lease them? Um, you know, how, you know, absolutely depreciated are they? And, you know, what's the kind of plan? Like you said, these are, these are big boats. Um, you know, if, if you have a 200 foot long boat that is a fishing vessel, you know, it's okay if it isn't pristine and the paint isn't, you know, perfect and the customer experience is non-existent. But if you have somebody who's paying a boatload of money, pun intended to, you know, come sail with you and all of a sudden, you know, your water pump breaks or something like that, and you can't flush toilets. Like these, these are not things that you can just kind of let fall by the wayside. This, this would be a very, very logistically intensive business, but I think it, you're right, Heather, it's super cool. And we should go check it out. (laughs) I can't imagine running a 207 foot boat with 76 people on board for a week. I mean, food, like this is a legit cruise line. Yeah. Right. You need yeah. a doctor on board. Like you need an evac plan. Like a, the compliance is probably crazy. You know, you can't just buy a boat and crack into this industry. Yeah. So barriers to entry are, are and the permit alone, you know, just even if the permits weren't difficult, you're right. All those other things would be huge barriers to entry. So you do have a very insulated market. But, you know, then there's the question of growth. OK, we're in a little insulated market. We only have so many boats or ships, maybe we should be calling them ships. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, you only have so many. And so, you know, how is their growth potential? Where are they as far as capacity? You know, could they add on some weeks? They're not really telling us much here, but that would be sort of interesting to know um, what are the ca- capacity constraints um, if if demand were to grow the way they're sort of suggesting at the bottom. Um, but you are sort of, you are sort of insulated and you are sort of limited, I, I would think. And and also, I want to say this is another one of those businesses, to, to Mills's point about keeping maintaining the ships and um, the maintenance capex, this is not an EBITDA kind of, kind of business. We shouldn't just be adding back depreciation and saying that's your cash flow because it, it probably is, is, is probably your maintenance capex is at least equal to your depreciation. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. we, we, we wouldn't be adding that back. Uh, but, you know, cash flow. So, so this is, let's just say that two million is really a million five. Now this isn't really, you know, it, it's it's SBA sized, but I don't know many SBA lenders that would, you know, be especially good at uh, at underwriting something like this, and would really be excited about uh, having their collateral be a bunch of ships. And maybe that's not even the collateral. To your point, also, Bill, like they didn't say they own these boats or ships. <laughs> they we don't know if that's part of the that's part of the purchase price, or they lease them, or what it is. So Heather, that. You hearing you say that surprised me because I would think big ships that can be resold would be pretty solid loan collateral. No. Well, 
it, it, it falls in the category of what we'll call rolling stock, although this is not rolling, of course, but anything that <laughs> floating, can move. Floating stock. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, there's two things lenders worry about that there. It tends to disappear uh, in, in bad loan situations, <laughs> right? Can be kind of hard to find. And you could sell this thing into, you could sell one of these into international water and say, come and get me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. The planes and the boats are the scariest because they can go w- way far away from you where you can't get them. So that's one concern. And second, they always have to look at the liquidation market. Let's just say they can get their hands on these boats. Well, they're probably going to be pretty dilapidated. You know, you have to expect that they're not going to be well-maintained when you get them. And um, and then what's the liquid, you know, limited liquidation market, you know, the the haircut, so to speak, that a lender would apply to these kinds of assets is pretty big. Um, they would not expect to realize a lot from liquidating ships, <laughs> old cruise ships. Uh, so no, not as, not as valuable as... Most people would think. Okay. Well, you know what is valuable to lenders? Real estate. They like real estate. That's the can't, only thing lenders can't walk like, away. Really, <laughs> that and doctors. Yeah, they like doctors who you know are involved in real estate, <laughs> owner occupied, medical, like definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we like doctors and we like real estate. Those are very, very stable. But every other kind of asset is not too exciting for a lender to think about ever getting back and having to liquidate. As I think about this business. There's a lot to like, right? I mean, I think on this show, we tend to be like, oh, here's all the things that scare me, right? But there's a lot to like about this business because it's uh, supply limited. So there's only so many permits. You've got a lot of them. You're the largest holder of permits. Uh, If they're issuing new permits, you probably know exactly who to bribe to make sure that you get them, (laughs) right? And your competitors don't get them. Um, I would think this thing, I find it kind of hilarious that like, oh, this business is going to outgrow the market etc. And then they turn around and say, growth is limited by permits. And the only way you can grow is cram more people on the boats or get more boat entries into Glacier Bay National Park. So if you want to model the growth of this, it's basically like a capacity utilization model, right? How much capacity do you have? And is it fully utilizing? Can you get more permits? And then I think you're almost paying a discount rate based on like, if you can't, like you just fill the boats up and you just kind of run the, sh- the cruises every week. I bet it's pretty predictable with tourism to the Glacier Bay area, absent natural disasters or whatever in that area. So, I mean, I'm valuing this thing. You know, I don't want to say it's like an annuity because obviously it's an operating business. There's a lot of risk. Yeah. Um, But that's kind of how I would think about it. I wouldn't be planning for a bunch of growth. I'd be paying a multiple where I was receiving, uh, you know, a great return on my cash that compensated me for the pain in the butt of operating a cruise line. Yeah. And, and uh, when you talk about the permits and that, that constraint, I, I looked at a business in Hawaii. Um, and actually, I think we ended up doing that loan, um, where they, uh, ran, uh, tours for snorkeling with the manta rays, which is a very, you know, unique thing and just one part of Hawaii. And, uh, it was totally constrained by the number of permits. And when you, when you had to buy a permit to get into that business. What I found interesting was um, they they cooperate amongst each other. All the permit holders and the tour runners, if they're not full one night, they give or, or they have too many, they give their excess leads to the other guy, and they kind of all cooperate so that everybody's kind of full at the end of the day. They might get different rates from different you know uh, deals that they have, but uh, but they all kind of work together. And I, I would imagine there's only so many of these small cruise ships up there. And they probably do the same thing. So if I was a buyer, I would want to ask 
kind of where did this, where, how does this one stand in the pecking order? Does it have its, does it have really good SEO and it tends to have more leads that it passes on to its competitors or is it on the receiving end? Because that does affect the margins to some degree. Mm-hmm. And they say they're the biggest one. They're one of Alaska's largest permit holders for entry into the park with over a hundred entries mm-hmm. per season. Now that uh, is, that's yeah. just that park. So like the skeptic in me says, okay, Alaskan cruises are huge, you know, and all the major cruise lines have, you know, these kind of, um, these routes. It may be that they have a unique corner on this one park, you know, and other people maybe have unique corners on other parks, or there's much larger hubs that would only really host a carnival cruise line, you know, a mega ship, um, or something like that. Um, I've never been an Alaska cruise, but I, I know plenty of people who have and, and family who have. And, you know, just like any other cruise, part of the experience is getting off the boat. And so if somebody has a corner on, you know, a dock, so to speak, or, you know, a port, um, that that's pretty interesting and pretty v- valuable. But there's not an unlimited number of those. But I think there's definitely more than one in this case. They just maybe have the corner on this one. Yeah. I know these can be very good businesses. Like I think our friends at Shenmark own a boat tourism company also. I think they do well with it. Um, because you've got, so if you are able to get one of these captive kind of permitted tourism comes through, this is the type, this is the thing you see in this area when you come through, it's sort of a license to print money as long as you don't sink your boats or kill somebody or, you know, whatever, operate at a high quality and the customers just kind of come to you you know, automatically. So I, I think these can be really good investments. Of course, you got to operate a cruise line. So I would be asking, I don't know, Jack about that. So I'd really want to understand what the management team was like, how long tenure they are, you know, you'd, you'd want a whole bunch of institutional knowledge, which I think is a big value of this business to like, how do you swap leads with the other people? Who do you need to bribe when new permits come up? You know, the institutional knowledge of being in and around this industry, is a local business and it's definitely a lot of who, you know, I want to make sure I would continue to employ a lot of people who knew all the people you're supposed to know. Right. And don't we think that the the seller probably is a local Alaskan person, you know, who mm-hmm. is well, well tied in. And so why are they selling? You know, I wonder if, you know, after like a lot of businesses that I've seen where they had a really tough time during COVID, mm-hmm. they they're just, that was it. They, that fried their nerves and they don't really want to be in that business anymore now that things are going better. Um, could be that, but, but it, this would be a little scary, kind of like the, uh, car, uh, rental place that we looked at in Alaska. I think this would be a little scary for a non-Alaskan to kind of step in from the outside to buy that, that would be a little concerning. I just am so scared of, I mean, you could get this answer fairly quickly, but if they own the boats, you could spend 10 years worth of earnings replacing a boat a vessel you know i i just think you know my first order of business would be what's the nature of their fleet and is there an alternative you know is there a more capital you know efficient model to say okay maybe we're going to sunset these margins may decrease if we're leasing vessels and operating them i mean that's how a lot of hotels operate right they don't own the real estate they just operate and maybe it's a ground lease. Maybe they, you know, own the building, so to speak, own the structure. And here you have a hotel, you know, on water. But is there a model where you don't have to continue to constantly reinvest all of your free cash flow into, you know, 
into the, the main driver of revenue, the only driver of revenue. It's not like they do other stuff. If any, if they do anything, like if they have, you know, food related revenue or drink related revenue or, you know, mm-hmm. tours, right. There's, there's multiple facets probably of revenue, but if you don't have the boat, you don't do any of that. Yeah. I mean, you're underwriting these assets as much as you're underwriting the business. Like you need a shipbuilder to come out here and comb every single boat and make sure they're in good, in good health. Cause yeah, a 200 foot boat costs millions of dollars, millions. Um, and that, by the way, also you run into valuing this thing because seller goes, I've got $40 million of vessels here. What do you mean you're going to only offer me $10 million for this business? Right. And you're like, and then you're like, yeah, but that's what you spent on these vessels 20 years ago and they're depreciated. The, the engineer says the useful life on these is only 10 more years. I'm staring down the bailer of another $40 million of CapEx. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't pay you new price for your 30 year old boats. Yep. And a lot of sellers don't always understand that. Yeah. So that makes this a really tough business to be in. And, and we do really need to know lease or own. And then what is the supply like? You know, when, when we need a new boat, are we buying them new or? Is this some kind of, you know, where you buy it used and it's been used for something else and you you uh, repurpose it over for, you know, passenger cruises? That would be interesting to 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 know. I, I would imagine it could be a little bit of both. One thing I love about businesses like this is like the catch 22 makes it so difficult to do anything, but it also makes it so incredibly defensive. The replacement cost, if you just had to start this business from scratch. I mean, the pile of money that you would have to have to do it would just be huge. And and that's assuming you can even get in right to the market and throw a bunch of money at access to certain, you know, ports. I think we've talked about some of them before, but I remember looking at this business that was a fish farm and they had, you know, just tons of real estate and tons of ponds and, you know, tanks and vats and all these different, you know, really land intensive assets that were part of it. And the business really didn't make that much money. And the value of just the land was a lot higher than the value of the cash flow of the business. But it, the family who had started it two generations before, they didn't pay that much for the land. And it was the highest and best use at the time was to put in a bunch of fish ponds and, you know, farm, you know, marketable uh, fish. But then you get to this place where you're like, hey, we really care about the business, but the land is worth 10 times the amount because it's, you know, thousands of acres or whatever it was in this case. Tree tree farms are that way, you know. Most of the timber mm-hmm. companies got out of, most of the, you know, lumber-related companies got out of the land-owning business because it was just so capital inefficient. Mm-hmm. So you wonder, you know, you come in and if they do own the boats, is there a sale leaseback? I'm sure there are plenty of ship leasing companies. You might be able to finance this entire deal with a sale lease back of the boats. Yeah. And of course you'd have to make sure it pencil because obviously now you'd have lease expense. Uh, but there's all kinds, when you've got a whole bunch of heavy assets like this on a balance sheet, you get all sorts of creative financing options that are now on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you just reminded me of a, of a deal that uh, I've been looking at that involves airplanes and they're trying to figure out, you know, there's the, there's sort of the enterprise that they want to finance uh, and then there's all this, it, it needs, it leases aircrafts to, you know, to anyway, it leases aircrafts and uh, it, they've got to figure out that side of it. And it, it is, you know, it's very specialized financing when you're talking about whether it's ships or airplanes, you almost have to like go to, to just those specialty uh, financing providers, figure that piece out first, 
and then come back to what can I now, how can I finance and what can I pay for the enterprise? It's almost like kind of two pieces to a puzzle you have to put together. So with two different vendors. So kind of trying to bring this to a close, two million bucks of EBITDA, very defensible here. You know, let's just, let's just kind of take it to the face value. Is it even possible to put a price on this without knowing about ownership of the ships and the condition of the assets? I don't think no. so. No. And I, don't think I, think, so either. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of other questions, but I think that's the big one. And then also, you know, what, what does the balance sheet look like? You know, Bill, your, your, you know, famous line that we repeat so much, like, you know, basically pay me my mortgage. Um, if let's say they do own them and that isn't a deal killer, what if they owe, you know, let's say they want a five times multiple or something like that. And it's $10 million. What if they have $15 million worth of debt on the balance sheet? Cause they do have modern equipment and they have constantly kept up with it. And the CapEx has just put them in a, in a, you know, barrel of debt, you know, the balance sheet, not just do they own them, but what's the composition of the balance sheet beyond that and how have they acquired the assets is a big, yeah, big yeah. deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you actually put a deal together here that gets them out from under their debt and they take some money home that also makes sense to you? Some businesses are just stuck in that way. Well, and that brings up a point that we haven't really talked about that much, but one of the forms of consideration sometimes in deals like this is assumption of debt. You know, it may just be that part of your purchase price, part of your consideration is we do a workout with your current lender. And maybe it's not a true workout where it's distressed debt and they're in default, but it may just be that, hey, I'm willing, the bank's going to underwrite me and this is going to re-go through underwriting. But the bank may say our best chance of repayment is you, new buyer. Um, And we're willing to assign that debt over and the seller goes, hey, if I just walk away with a million dollars, but I I get out of $10 million worth of debt, Mm -hmm. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Those are tough. I will. I mean, mm-hmm. good point. That's a that's a way some deals have to come together. But whenever you have to negotiate like that, and the, the bank already kind of knows we're not in a good position on this company and these these assets, it goes on for a long time before you reach a, a conclusion. You think it's hard enough to to negotiate between two lawyers a purchase and sale agreement on a healthy business? Try adding a bank and all their attorneys. And, you know, you know, just buckle up for about six months before you'll know whether you even have a deal. Yeah, I feel like this is such a large portion of the M&A market right now as we record this in early 2024 is sellers who, you know, it's basically a controlled crash landing, right, where you need to do work out as part of the transaction. And the sellers are not going to have a good outcome or even their lenders not going to have a good outcome. But what amazes me is how long sellers and lenders are willing to go with their head in the sand. That's what amazes me. Like, guys, anybody can see it's over. Like, it's written on the wall. Like, it's not coming back. Like, take your loss and move on. And lenders just, they will stick their head in the sand forever. And they will veto deals that get them half their money back because they don't want to recognize a 50% write down because it doesn't hit their bonus until it actually happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you have it, Bill. <laughs> you, you figured it out. Uh, <laughs> and and I wrote there's a there's a, a particular chapter or subchapter of bankruptcy that's designed just for this, but it only works for small companies. I wrote about it on Twitter, and now I'm going to forget the number. It's like subchapter nine or something. Look in my Twitter if you want to know. But basically, it says it's a it's a form of bankruptcy where the seller can't has a buyer lined up can't get through this bank nightmare. 
they're wasting all the time and it bypasses the bank and goes straight to the judge and the judge can decide, boom, and like, they happen in like 30 or 45 days, you can sell it. That's There's a form of bankruptcy just to deal with how bad the banks are in these situations. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of fun. That is very interesting, in fact. Mm-hmm. I would like to learn more yeah. about that. <laughs> it only It's only for companies under a certain size. Um, and so, yeah, definitely uh, can't remember the exact number right now, but I wrote about it on my Twitter because I talked to an expert who who handles those in a particular district. It's really interesting. Well, I'm going to go scroll your Twitter right, right after this. <laughs> there we go. And everyone should go. because Heather is awesome on Twitter, <laughs> like really good lending, structuring, stuff like this. Uh, all right. Well, that was a good one. Uh, I'm not as into it as the pizza boat, but I do still like it. <laughs> I'm still going on the site visit. No problem. Yep. I'm going. Yep. All right. <laughs> we will see you guys there and we will see you on the next episode of Acquisitions Anonymous.